I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Today on the show, I'm talking with Ryan and Julie, the founders and CEOs of Needed, a prenatal supplement brand on a mission to provide mothers with everything they need to thrive. After meeting at Stanford Business School, the pair realized the health market lacked a trusted, fundamental nutritional business focused on women. We explore celebrating the small wins, identifying your business's long-term vision, and the responsibility of being a science-backed brand. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Where where are you both located? We are both based in LA. Um, Today, I'm actually home in Las Vegas, um, which is where I grew up, um, which sounds kind of funny. We're here for child care help this week. which is probably the least common reason to go to Vegas, but Ryan's an LA native. I'll let her share yeah, a little that's more about how she speaking, got me down to but, LA. Uh, yeah, I, I luckily was able to convince Julie to move from the Bay Area, which she loved down to LA. And I think luckily LA is, I think, really grown on her and she's happy to be here. Um, but we both live in different neighborhoods of kind of Pacific Palisades. Um, so kind of tucked between the, the ocean and mountains in LA. It's a pretty special place for sure. How did you both, how did you meet each other before launching the business? We met, we met as, um, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we met as next door neighbors at Stanford Business School. Um, moving in, we we were both living in the the couple's dorm. Um, Ryan was a newlywed and I was um, recently engaged and um, really quickly hit it off as friends and just sharing um consumer related stuff back and forth, consumer and health related stuff back and forth, but both of us lifelong nutrition enthusiasts and um, probably the far extreme of health nerds for our business school class. Yeah. So needed very much just grew organically out of, um, you know, I think watching our friends and really meeting our own needs and really that's how kind of the, the name evolved. It sort of, we hated it at first, but it have to be in this like iteration of what's needed to improve um improve the space you said you hated the name at first (laughs) I think it felt uncomfortable maybe a little bit of I don't know what the right word would be of um you know telling people what they need feels very like overstepping um and then I think we were able to reframe it around really how do we set ourselves best up to sort of meet meet women's needs and um, really understand that from multiple different angles and what what products are needed, where, why better science are needed, why the paradigm needs to change. And, and then eventually ended up, I think, um, working pretty well for us, but it, it was a little bit of an adjustment for sure. Yeah. I think what, where it, you know, really felt, um, organic is, is in, you know, at the time this was going back to probably 2017, you know, there were a number of, uh, direct to consumer nutrition companies that had launched and, and also some innovation on brand in the category. Historically, 
Um, you know, it was very common for women to say like, oh, I don't know what brand of prenatal I'm taking. It's like the green one from Walgreens or the red one from CVS. Um, and I think there was innovation, you know, right around when we were starting needed on brand and on the delivery method of, you know, reaching customers in a direct to consumer way. But what we saw and kept coming back to is that there was no underlying product innovation and the products that were being pushed out to market were largely just white labeled. So it was putting a pretty brand on, um, on a really stale product that hadn't had any innovation and therefore really wasn't meeting women's needs from a physiological perspective. And, you know, when we were in the process of, of, of branding that need, you know, like coming back to like what's needed and needs aren't being met is just what kept rising to the, to the forefront and how we came up with the name. What were you both doing professionally before launching the brand? Like what did, what did both of you end up doing after uh, business school and, or, or did you just jump straight into developing? Yeah, we, um, so both of us came from financial backgrounds before business school. I worked at a private equity firm called TPG um, and Ryan worked in consumer venture capital and investment banking on the consumer side. Um, but both of us, um, you know, I think felt enough conviction in the problem at hand um, by the time that we graduated from business school. So we jumped into starting and running needed full time at that point in time. Um, and then it was a very long time of product R&D. You know, as I mentioned, most products on the market are just white labeled. There's no product R&D that goes into creating them. We took a very, very different approach of you know, really designing the products from the ground up, leveraging the available clinical data and also a deep wealth of practitioner experience of practitioners who are actually testing needs um, day in and day out. And so it was a long, I would say a long journey to get to the place that we are at now in terms of having products that are truly innovative. Um, but yeah, it's been about four and a half years at this point with about a year of our products being in market. And that clinical practitioner approach is a really important component because basically I think the problem that we saw just both of us beginning to think about our motherhood journeys and watching friends go through every gamut of you know struggles from infertility to hypermesis and pregnancy to postpartum depression that nutrition wasn't a component of the standard of care standard of care didn't match the clinical research, but women's health issues are so understudied that there were so many gaps in the clinical research if you were really looking at what is optimal for women. So instead had to go to that next layer of let's, let's aggregate data from the most nutritionally informed practitioners because they have a wealth of information from how they are practicing and seeing results with their patients that even though it hasn't been clinically studied yet, there is still pretty rigorous protocols whereby they're seeing um, improvements beyond the standard of care. And we really sort of took all of that to um, generate our, our, what we're known for our complete plan, which is a four port kind of protocol um, to optimally meet your nutritional needs before, during, and after pregnancy, and then some extensions beyond that. But um, as Julie said it, took a lot of research and then it took, there's a lot from how do you move from, okay, what would, what would people ideally take to how do you get this, you know, stable in a nutritional supplement and in a form factor that is enjoyable enough for someone to take every day. 
How did you get started with doing the research into the the data? I mean, I'm assuming like both of you don't have a background in product formulations and also uh, studying clinical data. So I'm just curious, like at that point, had you decided that you were going to launch a brand in that space and you dove into into really like parsing through data to figure out the opportunities within within the market or was that like an exploration point at that at that time before making the decision to to embark on the journey I think it really started the process really started with deeply understanding consumer needs and the needs that perinatal nutrition and health practitioners are seeing in their clinical practice. So that was our starting point of, you know, once we understood through hundreds of consumer interviews and hundreds of meetings with perinatal nutrition practitioners, we saw that there was a huge gap in the market and that products weren't meeting needs and that the best products on the market, you could buy only through a health practitioner. They weren't available direct to consumer. And even those products fell short of what people really needed. That I think was the light bulb moment for us that it was worth going down this super challenging path. I think at the time we had no idea it was going to be quite as challenging as it was, but we felt, and I think all throughout this process have had such strong conviction that there is an unmet need here that um, it was enough to, to keep us going through the ups and downs. Um, and Ryan, out of the two of us, oversees uh, product formulation and R&D and, and works super closely with, um, with expert formulators and with our practitioner base to design the product. So I'll let her speak to that in more depth. But I think it really started with validating that there was a huge need here and that that I think validation has only grown um, as we got into the actual product formulation side. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly driven by, I think, you know, we weren't, we're not formally trained practitioners, but I, I was an environmental science major, so had focused on food systems, so had a pretty strong depth of biochemistry and um, biology and worked with a Stanford Medical School nutrition professor through most of undergrad, but it's been a huge you know, learning curve and certifications on the side to get more up to speed. And then really that just like reliance on our practitioner base to make sure we're getting the, the product quality right. And I think that was so critical because I think Sean, you would, you started like, you know, was building the brand, the goal. And I think what we are seeing is that brand absolutely matters. It's sort of that ethos of what you stand for. But we'd very much seen in the, the market at the time, and especially me coming out of kind of consumer venture capital, is there was just this huge overinvestment in brand and the product quality didn't actually like stand up to the brand ethos. And I can't tell you, I was like very frustrated, I think, heading into business school as an investor of being like, there isn't like a consumer backed um, but VC backed company right now, we're actually like their products. Some of the brands are compelling, but the underlying products are like, excuse my language, like complete crap. And that's not going to like solve any problems or sustain things. So I think it was this, you know, combination of 
brand mattering. You need to have that emotional pull, um, kind of a beautiful presence on website and Instagram, but also be able to have kind of everything behind to, you know, stand up to it as well. Once you had, I guess, actually two questions. <clears throat> you talked about doing consumer uh, interviews. At that point, like, obviously, you had the kernel of the idea that you wanted to explore the, the market. Was that your first step to finding out, like, if there was an underlying problem that was worth solving before diving into the research and product development? And I'm also curious, knowing that the development time frame was so long um, and also challenging, like not knowing what is to come at the end of it, how did you think about funding the business or funding, I don't even know if that's the right question, funding your time into something like this at that point in order to sustain it? Yeah, I'm happy to start off and Rye jump in. Um, yeah, so I think going back to like the need, the initial kernel of the idea before we started user interviewing was really that Ryan and I as lifelong nutrition nerds who were doing what we thought were all the right things, like shopping at the farmer's market and preparing our own food and taking supplements, we thought, you know, going into pregnancy, we would be optimally set up for success. And through our own curiosity and personal health journeys, we were doing nutrient testing at the time, like when we were in business school. And what we both found is that we had massive nutrient deficiencies that if we were to get pregnant would put us at risk for things like early preterm labor or other complications that can really impact the health of a mom and a baby. And this was so shocking to us because of how much care and attention we put on our diet and our nutrition and our health. And so we really, I think, couldn't ignore the fact that like both of us independently had this problem. And so it led us to think this must be true for other people. Um, and so that led us to dig into the available clinical research, as Ryan alluded to earlier, um, that does validate that upwards of 97% of women in this life stage take a prenatal and yet 95% have nutrient deficiencies. And then on top of that, I think that's a, that's a baseline understanding that's important to know. But on top of that, you know, we spent a lot of time while in business school um, doing a deep dive around what leads a consumer to purchase a certain product versus another. What, you know, from the perspective of a practitioner, what goes into choosing the right product and what's, what are your current gaps in, you know, in available um, options that you can offer to your patients and what would your ideal look like? And what do you see in practice as being the dosage amount that you need to get women's vitamin D levels or choline, or, you know, pick any nutrient that's important for pregnancy into an optimal range, not just a bare minimum range. Um, so that was, I think the, the journey from problem for us to validating that it's a problem for nearly every single woman, um, you know, at least in the U S, um, as, as really a challenge. And thankfully we were really lucky, um, early in our journey of, um, starting needed to connect with a few really, um, amazing early investors who believed in the two of us and believed in the idea of 
investing in product and innovating on product, not just on brand. And one of our earliest investors um, was a woman named Barb Paldis, who herself is an um, experienced entrepreneur and um, a Stanford biochemist, um, you know, really has, um, you know, an, a deep understanding of how little product innovation there is in the category. And so her fund, SecMed, is really um, oriented around how to bring real science to the consumer um, through product quality, not just through brand. Um, and so that was that was huge for us to have um, several investors, including Barb from the get-go, who really believed in the, the vision and the mission and knew that it was going to be um, a longer path to market, but ultimately a huge sustaining competitive advantage to have products that are not white labeled and to have this really deep wealth of consumer and practitioner understanding that's behind needed that no other consumer company, you know, can say that they, they have. Yeah. And I think just along the way and those like ups and downs, uh, the practitioners that we made relationships with early on that were very critical to the initial need understanding and product formulation, I think were huge, just like motivators for no, our patients need this. This will make a difference in, you know, outcomes for the women that we treat and so many more women beyond that. And I think that was very much a, a shining light that made it kept feeling worth it, even though the, you know, the R&D journey can feel very long and unrewarding um, at times. Yeah, I'm curious, like mentally, it sounds like you I mean, it seems like this might be the best approach to anything, but it sounds like you were purely focused on um, A, learning, and B, like solution design, and not so much concerned, I mean, maybe in the background, but not so much in the foreground concerned with like how you were going to build uh large consumer brand or like your uh, ego-driven desires to get to the outcome before like finding the best path there? Yeah, I think the way I would say it is like, I think we, throughout the process and, and obviously there are ups and downs, there's hard days, there's points where, you know, maybe I felt less confident than Ryan or Ryan felt less confident than me. And there's huge benefits in having a co-founder, um, you know, from to weather those ups and downs. But I think, I think from the get-go, we were starting a company not to add yet another product to a crowded category, but really to change the perinatal nutrition and health paradigm for the better. And we knew that taking shortcuts on product wasn't going to get us there. And we, I think, had really clear conviction around this is the solution that women have been looking for. So even if it takes us longer to launch the product, the market is there. Um, And I think we used, you know, we certainly didn't sit idly during that extended R&D time. We were using the time to build those really deep practitioner relationships that have been so important since launching. A lot of our super fast growth over the last year has come from the direct referrals from practitioners, many of whom have a large social media following. So we kind of think of it as direct to consumer um, aided by practitioner referrals or practitioner supported DTC. 
Um, and that trust by those practitioners is, is something that we A, couldn't have created overnight and B, it's not something that we can buy. You know, you can't just pay off these practitioners because they don't think of themselves as influencers, even though they are the most influential person when it comes to consumers who are following them and looking to them for recommendations. Um, and so I think really the marketing strategy evolved side by side alongside the, the product formulation side. Really, we, you know, I think without the product quality, we wouldn't have um, this huge differentiator in terms of our go-to-market strategy. I totally agree. I feel like the focus on the problem and the solution is what, uh, I mean, obviously attracts everyone to want to work on a brand. That yeah, has... It's amazing. I've been shocked just, you know, I manage most of the data with day-to-day relationships with our manufacturers and how many of them have said like, your guys' approach is just so different than any other client we've worked with. Like you're actually, you're focused on product performance as the first thing versus, you know, it needs to be this cost of goods sold or some other metric. And they're just like, we almost never see this. And I think to us, it's sort of like, oh my gosh, how would that not be, you know, number one in terms of, what in a product's intent or reason for existence is, but it very much is not the norm. How did you, how did you think about doing product testing after, uh, and throughout the product development cycle, knowing that both of you were doing, um, I don't remember the term for it, but like, uh, looking at biomarkers for how, uh, for your nutrient levels. I'm curious how you did testing. We did a lot of testing on ourselves and a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of practitioner guinea pigs that were willing to try stuff too. Um, and certainly, you know, taste form factor, but then also, you know, we did plenty of take something for a month or two and then retest your levels and see how it performed as well. Is that a standard approach in the industry or now, maybe at probably at some of the like practitioner grade companies that you've never heard of, you know, orthomolecular integrative therapeutics and um, that really only sell into the, the practitioner physician market, but not for, you know, most of the companies that consumers are aware of that you find at the grocery store or see on Instagram. It's funny because it's like such a complex uh, problem. And it- while you were talking through it, I was thinking like, how do you even find out if your product is effective after you've gone through so much development? In reality, it's like maybe the most simple uh, product that you can test for effectiveness because of the before and after. And yeah, yet, then it gets and into the, the questions of, great, don't... you moved this biomarker of B12, your B12 levels used to be X, but now they're Y, but what does Y really mean and outcomes for like mom and baby? And I think all of that is, you know, it's a life's work to, to track it in bigger ways, but we we have increasing numbers of indicators of, you know, products, you know, making a real difference and practitioners, um, talking and speaking of that in terms of changes that they're seeing with their patients, whether it's from simple things like, you know, a mom's energy after taking the product for a week to, um, you know, with our collagen anecdotally, this hasn't been studied, but many practitioners are sort of when there had been stagnated growth in baby, 
adding collagen and that really potent available protein source um, to diet can um, accelerate baby's growth thereafter. And there's more that we plan to do with time to um, move into kind of clinical trials and more effective tracking ourselves such that we can um, prove that, you know, outcomes are really better when you do get nutrition right. I, I think it's fascinating, though, that most brands aren't even doing like the base level. They're not do, doing like the upfront base level or even the post product development base. And if I've ever seen any like clinical studies coming out from brands in a similar space, I feel like the uh, it's almost obviously aimed at like just showing a specific outcome that obviously is already like confirmed before. Yeah. Yeah. I think like a good example would be like, you know, testing, um, whether taking an, a vitamin D supplement is going to raise your vitamin D levels as compared to taking nothing. That's a good example of like the vanity studies (laughs) that we see in this space. And I think when we think about measuring outcomes, we're really focused on how does this, how do outcomes look or how do levels look on a product like needed as compared to what most women are doing, which is not taking nothing. They're taking something. It's just, you know, there's a a order of magnitude of difference between a minimalistic prenatal, which is what most prenatals on the market, um, you know, a one a day or two a day or a gummy vitamin. Um, What's in, what's even possible to fit into products like that from a you know, a space constraint perspective, just looking at like molecular size of some of the most important nutrients, it's just not possible to have an optimal prenatal, um, you know, in a one a day format. That's like, I think where our practitioner base again can be so important as education is a challenge. I think many consumers don't even sort of know that there's a problem here and know that like they could feel a lot better in pregnancy or you know the list goes on and a practitioners and our ability to market and partnership with practitioners and help them sort of share our story and our need has been such an important component for folks i think getting the problem and learning how you know to advocate for a difference because i think in you know in the us things are changing but I think consumers have historically been pretty complacent that they just assume companies are doing the right thing. Um, And we're seeing, you know, increasing numbers of stories of just that's not the case from, you know, personal care market to supplements to food and sort of the list goes on around how we collectively need to, unfortunately, but it's true, need to demand better for ourselves and our families. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the main, I I don't know either of you, obviously I just met you. Um, I feel like talking to you, it's pretty obvious, like your, um, interest level in learning in general, like you met in business school, um, the amount of research that you've done. I feel like most businesses, like the temptation is to focus on the end goal and it's way too enticing, especially even talking like from your background in investing, like talking to investors, like, uh, you'd have a harder time, maybe not with the people that you've attracted, but with most people even explaining, um, what your interests are 
versus what they care about or even think about on a daily basis. And then, yeah, on top of it, like for somebody, um, for some like average consumer to spend the time researching at any level versus the level that you're researching is almost like virtually impossible. I'm curious, like how, how hard was it when developing the brand to think about like simplifying the messaging around what you had created while still conveying the benefits over what, what people had maybe been taking in the past. Yeah. I think we think about that constantly of how do we translate the problem and the, like the real like science to the consumer. But I think from the get-go, we have leaned very heavily into educational based marketing, whether that's on our own website or, um, through our practitioner partners who, you know, are active on social media and in their local communities. Um, I think, a a good parallel for this in terms of companies would be beauty counter in terms of, you know, companies that really started with educating on a problem versus pushing a product at you. And I think what we find is when we're able to educate a consumer on the problem of your prenatal isn't cutting it, you know, some of those stats we mentioned earlier around 95% are deficient, or, you know, you deserve to thrive, not just survive. That's something that women really deeply uh, can relate to, especially if they have been through a pregnancy or if they're on an infertility journey or they've experienced pregnancy loss. It's, I think, a, a combination of education with emotional resonance around, you know, the, the needs of women in this life stage are going unmet. And we, I think, have, you know, focused a lot on, on how do we make it simple. But I think what we also find is that the consumer that we most resonate with is the consumer who is willing to go that extra step. They're not shopping based on price. They're shopping based on what's optimal for me and my baby, even if it's slightly less convenient or slightly more expensive, I'm willing to go the extra mile. And sometimes that's a first time mom. Um, but also sometimes that's a mom who with her prior pregnancy, felt terrible or who had a difficult postpartum experience or had a complication that she's looking to avoid um, or who experienced loss. Like, you know, I think those challenges are not, unfortunately, they're not the exception. They're, they're much, much, much more common than not. Um, and so I think we, you know, while we try to lean into that while not um, where we started out with kind of talking about like not telling a consumer, this is what you need. Um, we really try to empower her to understand what her needs are. And, and if we're the solution for that, that's great. But I think um, as a brand, we really stand behind education for its own sake, um, not just to sell you a product. And so one of the things that we're known for is the most comprehensive review of prenatal vitamins on the market. Uh, we have a free guide that looks at over 75 brands and weighs the pros and cons and overall takeaways. And it's um, it was prepared by our practitioner, um, experts. And so it's something that you can just come to our website, thisisneeded.com and download for free and, um, and learn, you know, and understand what are the pros and cons. And if you're happy with your prenatal, that's great, but maybe there are a few things through your diet that you can focus on emphasizing more to make sure that you're 
really getting all of your needs met. Did you at first build that uh, guide as a tool for you solving problems that hadn't yet been addressed when doing product development or was that after? I'm just curious because it sounds like a great tool for you and then also like an interesting idea to share openly. Yeah, it was kind of a combination. I think um, Ryan and team certainly looked at um, existing prenatals and what, you know, what they contain and what, you know, what the nearest, I guess, the on the there's extremes. So there's products that are clearly in a different category than needed, um, where almost the you'd, you'd be better off throwing out the formulation than trying to make adjustments to it. And then there's products that um, are practitioner grade where um, improvements can be made. And so I think we, you know, we certainly looked at like the full spectrum of what was on the market when designing our products. But the idea behind the guide really came about through organic consumer demand of people writing into us on Instagram, asking us to review their current prenatal. And we turned it into an Instagram series that did super well, where um, people could just write into us for free and we would send them um, a review from our one of our medical experts. Um, and it kept growing and growing and, and got to a point where we had a library of 75 uh, of these reviews and decided to turn it into a guide because so many women, you know, when they find out that they're pregnant or they start thinking about pregnancy are shopping for what's the best prenatal out there. And the information out there is very clickbaity. It's very, um, it's not rigorous. It's not robust. Um, and we wanted to create a really comprehensive guide where you could do a full comparison of just about every product on the market to determine what, um, what you thought best met your needs. Yeah, because I think we, you know, we were very much leaning into that educational point of like your prenatal isn't cutting it. And I think that let me review my prenatal and tell me where and why it's not made it very tangible for consumers to actually like understand like, okay, wow, vitamin D is, you know, really low. And this is what vitamin D does for myself and my baby and why it needs to be this much higher. Um, you know, it gets very technical if some people wanted to go there, but I think that was highly, highly helpful for people getting it because it's complicated. It's not easy to look at a supplement facts label and kind of know as just like a basic consumer, even a highly educated, smart consumer to be like, is that the right biochemical form of vitamin D? What does that dosage mean versus another, especially when you have, you know, the percent daily values right next to it on the label when you're like, okay, I'm meeting my um, you know, vitamin B12 daily value at hundred percent, I should be all set. But then we now, you know, can understand that those daily values are set at a percentage to avoid a disease condition, not, um, what can support you optimally at this life stage, which is yeah. a very different mindset. Yeah. And I think it's, um, why those reviews are so helpful is because a lot of manufacturers will put in just enough of an ingredient to be able to make a label claim. So they'll be like, it, it contains choline, but when you dive into it, and this, again, it's not necessarily something that consumers know to look for, but it's dosing at one-tenth of the amount that has been clinically shown to be beneficial to perinatal women. Um, and sometimes it's even lower than that in the case of nutrients like, you know, B12, as Ryan mentioned, or, um, 
vitamin D or, you know, the list goes on. And so seeing, you know, seeing a side-by-side comparison of what's optimal versus what's in your prenatal, I think can be, that's a, that's one way of making the science super easy to understand. Also just the fact that you were openly reviewing other products on the market, like trust wise, the level of research and, uh, thought that went into the development of your product would be so obvious after knowing that you would be like willing to share that information and give like honest feedback on other products seems yeah. like I think like, like it certainly didn't start out as the aim but we did find that you know uh those reviews had a really strong conversion to to customers and some of our earliest and most loyal customers um and I think that insight for us is like Again, when you take the time to educate a woman and empower her in what to look for and, and how to choose products, there is an inherent trust that's built in that. And um, and I think when you, for many of us, like when you know better, you you can do better. And, and I think that's ultimately our goal as a company is to help women to feel really, really good about the choices that they are making and to feel less alone in making those choices. How do you, um, how do you, balance your long-term vision of building the brand alongside the maybe more like shorter term stresses of, uh, running a consumer startup and, and what time frame do you view success over? Yeah, it's a challenge. And I will say like, you know, Julie and I, for the last because R&D, you know, took longer than expected, we wanted to be able to reach, you know, some certain milestones before we fundraised again. So we we were operating as a full-time team of two until last week. We certainly oh had a whole host of consultants and, um, you know, agencies and contractors that were working with us. But in terms of full-time employees day in and day out working on us, like you're looking at the two of us. And I think that put us in a position whereby, we had to be like very proactive of where's the long-term where we're going? Are we moving ahead on some of these like big picture long-term goals because the day-to-day can like completely take you under and overwhelm you just like keeping the business moving and running alive. And I think the helpful part is I think both of us are very much kind of oriented and get excited by some of the big picture, longer term thinking. So it can be maybe in some ways energizing to carve up time to be able to spend time on that. And I think it always was something when we had a couple of, you know, dark days, you know, supply chain has been an absolute mess with COVID and it just, you can feel like you're just like playing whack-a-mole hunting down suppliers and, you know, when is X coming and, you know, the list goes on and kind of extracting ourselves from that to be able to be like, okay, why are we going, where are we doing this is I think that thing that keeps us both going. That, and I think hearing from consumers and practitioners that like products made a difference for them too, which all feeds into how we can do that for you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of more women. Yeah. And I, the only thing I'd add to that is I think from the very earliest days of um, deciding to embark on this journey, I think Ryan and I looked at companies like Patagonia as, um, as inspiration of how do you create a company that can last and can be a source of 
real positive change in, in an industry, not just, you know, maximizing a shareholder return, which coming from our financial backgrounds, that's obviously a priority. Um, but from the get-go, we, we set Needed Up as a public benefit corp and, you know, had from the get-go like a five-year, a 10-year, 20-year vision of where the company was going. And I think we remain as excited about that long-term vision as ever. Um, and I think really see that Needed can be that, you know, that you know, once in a generation um, change maker in, in a category that is long overdue for improvements. Looking back since launching and like starting on this path, is there any advice that either of you would give yourself that would maybe like help you along the way? It doesn't have to change anything. I think for me, I will, I will say like, it's easy to talk now about like, oh, the journey was worth it. And like the R and D cycle was, um, was a source of ultimately a source of competitive advantage. But I, I certainly like had moments of frustration or disappointment or impatience with, um, with the process and with the journey. And I think in many ways, I guess I'm I'm glad that I didn't know at the outset how challenging, like how long it would take to get to market because I might've been discouraged from starting on this journey. And um, I think the advice I would have for my like former self would just be like, embrace the journey and and control what you can control. But ultimately we're never in control of like the, the timing of, you know, when something happens or, um, really like the the specifics of like, how is this gonna be received by consumers? And happily, I think like the the reception has far exceeded my, um, my expectations. It just took a little longer than I originally thought. Yeah, I would say it's probably, you know, somewhere along those reins of the balance of just like, how do you celebrate more of the small wins? Cause I think you need, um, you know, the big wins can often take a lot longer than you think. And I think there is a mindset and ability to actually take the time for when a small good thing happens. Like, how do you acknowledge that? Um, which I think we can have a lot of historic tendency to just blow through it and keep moving on to what's the, the bigger goal we're going after. And then I think the second is just, um, you know, it is a long journey for any entrepreneur out there. And I think maybe probably in the last six months to a year, I think Julie and I have maybe been more like forgiving with ourselves to give ourselves and make time for the other things we need in our lives to kind of keep us sustaining versus, you know, we work on this all the time, but you need, you need a few other things to keep you going too. Um, and I think kind of carving out some of that, that time, those little things just to get your needs met maybe potentially such that you can keep giving your business it's all is something that probably took um a little bit longer to learn and will be a continuous learning journey too what do you uh this is like kind of a random last question uh what do you feel like the main takeaway or learning experience was at business school or what, what do you feel like the main learning was that you took away from business school? 
we always go back to, we took a, like a startup launch class. And I just want to say that, well, there's probably two things from business school overall, but one that like we always go back to is just like, go to the customer, understand their needs. Like don't have your own assumptions from that, actually learn from what the customer tells you. Um, so I think those need finding exercises have been hugely important and continue to be very important for us and understanding that like our products are actually like working for them. We're not just assuming that they do. And then I think the second part is we are lucky Stanford um, business school's curriculum, at least for me, is very relational, touchy-feely based. And I think like that is just a, a core learning, something that we we really focus on is that ultimately businesses are about like the relationship you make with your employees, with your partners, with your investors. And I think that how important that is, I think we can't stress it enough of sort of putting putting the, the people in the relationship first and making sure we make the decision that's, you know, does right by our customer, does right by our partner is um, critically important. And there can be moments where doing so is very painful, but it's the, the right long-term thing to do. Yeah. Um, I love those. And I think um, two things I'd add is one, I think um, coming from a very linear, linearly progressing um, career in finance and, you know, really going to business school in some ways was like an extension of that, like clear cut career path of, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you're going to have this specific outcome or you're going to continue growing um, in your career. I think that a huge like call for me and going to Stanford in particular for business school was learning to embrace and really like embody a growth mindset of, you know, entrepreneurship from my point of view is not about always getting it right. It's about like learning and accepting setbacks and failures and like improving from that and, and staying curious and staying um, focused on the process, not necessarily the outcome. And that I think is something that I won't say that I graduated with like having mastered that, I think it's not something I'm ever going to fully master. It's like a lifelong journey, but that I think set the foundation for me to be um, so much better prepared for um, the ups and downs of a less clear path, like starting a company. Um, and then I think the, the second thing is just, this is related to the touchy feely side of things, but I think giving and practicing, giving and receiving feedback was so built into the curriculum at Stanford and um, not something that is very common in finance. Um, and um, I'm really glad to have had that um, foundation. I think it's a, it's like a core value for me and Ryan and our relationship as co-founders is, um, is that, you know, exchange of feedback back and forth. And, and um, it's something that, you know, we are excited to instill in, in our team now that we're growing a team and, um, I think it's uh, it's important at all touch points of our company, especially as a consumer brand, to be in the practice of receiving feedback and um, and figuring out what to do with it. it. Doesn't always mean that you need to change, but but it's you know um, you know I, I think having having an open mindset towards um, where you can improve. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It was awesome to hear about the journey and I uh, am a fan of what you're building. 
Thank you, you for, so much for having us. <laughs>